This week, fresh from the NFU hustings, we'll meet one of the candidates from our part of the world hoping to join the NFU's top team. In the very short term, we have got to get some messages out there to the people who will put in place the policies for the future of agriculture. Also, Nick is back from British Sugar, fresh from a reception in Parliament. And before Christmas, it wasn't looking too great for our potato farmers. How are things faring now? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, and dare I say... Um a bit more of the same. Colin Jackson will update us fully later. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. It's the end of January, February is around the corner, and with it, change at the top of the National Farmers' Union. Yuri Raymond revealed at the end of last year that he'd be stepping down as president. And this week, hustings have been taking place in different parts of the country, from Scotch Corner to Oakham and Newmarket, with those hoping to be elected president, deputy president and vice president. All seem to agree that changes are needed, with the top tier needing to work ever closer together. Frisbee on the Reek farmer Charles Sircom, who's chairman of the NFU Livestock Board, is among those bidding to become either deputy or vice president. So what's the vision, Charles? I think we've got to be now uh, proactive in getting our message across. I think we've got to be bold now and ambitious and, and start to be prepared to work with government to offer them solutions to some of the challenges that they face. I genuinely believe in the work that I've done with government over the last 12, 18 months post-Brexit. They are desperate for us to give them some ideas and suggestions into the way forward. They're really, really keen to listen. So now I think the NFU has done a tremendous amount of work in the last 12 months pulling together all the views and thoughts from the industry uh, and has got a good overarching vision for where we want to go. But with the new command paper due to be published any time soon in the spring, I think now we need to put some meat on the bones. We really do need to get some definitive asks uh, and be very... Um, precise in what we want to do because I think at the minute we haven't been strong enough in asking for what we want Um, but that will come in totally different ways to where we are if you listen to what Gove has said in his speech at Oxford and some of the other things there is a a keenness amongst government to move away from flat rate based area payments to to, to put money uh, to increase productivity and efficiency increase technology and innovation to make agriculture be able to stand on its own two feet. And I'm sure that will happen. Um, what we need to make, make certain is that's done over a period of time to give industry time to transition from what we've been used to to the brave new world in the future. If we can do that, I genuinely believe that the most efficient, productive, profitable businesses will survive, will grow and will thrive. It will be different. And unfortunately, I, I think my vision is that we will lose some businesses on the way. Mm. But agriculture will, will adapt and survive as has done for centuries and generations. And I think we really can um, come out of this in a better place. Uh, and, and there will be opportunities for all. And I think the change will create opportunities for different ways of working. There'll be different ways of looking at land tenure. There'll be opportunities for younger, vibrant, more, more sophisticated, well-educated people to come in and make an impact on the industry. It won't be in the traditional ways, like I started on a county council farm, but it may be in partnership with landowners who have no interest in farming, growing their stake and equity in the business. Uh, and that, that can work. Uh, it, it, it gives opportunities for all then. It is a time of change, isn't it? You know, as you yeah. say, Brexit is, will be leaving, certainly, in yeah. a year's time. At the top of the NFU, it's changes as there as yeah. well, with the, the new president uh, being appointed in, in a matter of weeks now. Um, so now is the time to grasp it, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, 
I think the election comes at a very pertinent time, as I say. In the very short term, we have got to get some messages out there to the people who will put in place the policies for the future of agriculture to make sure our views are heard, our wishes are acceded to, and we actually have some influence. It's always difficult to influence, but as I said earlier, if we can provide solutions uh, and go with a definitive plan for the betterment of agriculture in, in, in the rest of this century, I think we will be in a strong place. Do you think we've sat back a bit and said, well, it's uncertain, let's see what happens. Well, get into that conversation, but we're kind of just sitting back a bit. Whereas actually, like you said earlier, we need to be now pushing, saying, well, actually, we're not going to sit back and wait. This is what we want. Yeah. I mean, I think for a number of reasons, we have we have been cautious. We've had to do the background. We've had to do the research. We've had to find what people are thinking. But actually now, now is the time to step up to the plate, as I've said, to put really coherent, well thought through plans uh, and key asks that we, we think are essential to make our industry vibrant for the future. Why you then, I guess, is the question. From, from the hustings, why should people choose you? Um, I'd like to think that... I've got a range of skills that actually make me suitable. I've been chairman of the Livestock Board for six years. In that time, I've undoubtedly, undoubtedly learnt a lot. I've grown into the role. I've got a really good um, network of connections within uh, Westminster and in Brussels because I've chaired not only the Civil Dialogue Group, group for the European Commission, but the Coca-Pajika Working Group on Sheep as well. Uh, I have contacts in Australia and New Zealand, in America, in South America. I've been really fortunate to build up that network of people and, uh, and it gives me a really good ground in and a view of what they're thinking as well. But the real thing that I offer is just a, a passion and a belief that I want to make a difference. I didn't come into this uh, with any ambition at all to, for this role. I've sort of developed into it. Um, but I believe some of the things that I can offer, my ability to, to be uh, open-minded uh, and fair but, uh, and try and provide solutions to problems, goes down really well with, with, with civil servants and politicians. And, and I've been really pleased at the amount of respect that I've gained uh, from, from various people throughout the industry um, over, over my six years. And six years there at the, the, the Livestock Board, I, I guess you've seen many changes over that six years as well. <coughs> yeah, we, there's always changes. Yeah. There will always be changes, and, and we've seen them in, in the, some of the ways we work, some of the way uh, the government works and, and other, other associations and, 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 and um, people who support agriculture and the, the, the veterinary agencies uh, and all sorts of levels and traded standards are less influential now. Uh, the RPA, uh, Environment Agency, everything changes. We all, we all have to move on but we always have to be prepared to change um, and it's the speed of change that creates the, the impact. I think there will be massive change in agriculture but I th actually think the speed of change will be slower than people realise. I think it will take time to evolve. It won't, I hope and pray that it won't be an overnight revolution off the cliff edge because that will be a disaster. I, I'm really pleased with the mood music from Brussels and our politicians that, that say that actually they've realised that and we need transitions all over the place to, to, to make it a fair and equitable solution for everybody. Charles Sircom there. He's candidate for both deputy and vice president of the NFU, along with Michael Oakes and Stuart Roberts. Richard Bauer and James Small is also on the list for vice president, with Guy Smith on the list for deputy. Uh, Guy Smith is also, of course, up against Manette Batters for president. The elections take place on February the 21st.
Well, listening with interest to what Charles had to say there was our agronomist, Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Sean. It's quite interesting to listen to that, isn't it? Um, I think it's vitally important that we have a fully functional NFU behind us as an industry. And as far as any big organisation like that goes, when you're dealing with the, the government at the highest possible ministerial level, the people who are making those decisions at the top, we have to have people who are capable of putting their point across strongly and the nature of that is that you're going to get people who are working on the same side who have egos and different opinions and I think that's incredibly important that you can talk within your, your own environment and have differing opinions and criticise each other and come up with the right strategy without being blinkered by one particular view so I think long may it last that people have different opinions you don't go to the top of an organisation like the NFU unless you're prepared to put your head above the parapet and fight your corner and you know we need people like that and the future of the NFU is really bright I think when you've got people like Tom Bradshaw coming forward. Tom's a great speaker. You've got Guy Smith up there now, Minette Batters up there now. We've got a good team there that hopefully will take us forward and will gain the respect of the ministerial offices so that they know they're not dealing with mugs. They're dealing with people who understand an industry and who are absolutely 100% committed to making sure the right thing is done for that industry. So, you know, thanks very much, NFU. Keep doing what you're doing and keep fighting hard. You know, we're all behind you. Um, so let's just do a bit of agronomy. There's not a lot. Um, what's interesting is with soil temperatures below four, we are seeing very obvious new growth in the centre of all seed rape plants, winter barley crops, new leaves pushing out in winter wheat, emergence of winter wheat. Quite how that's happening, I don't know, but it's very clear that these crops are picking up a little bit of nitrogen, they are finding a little bit of warmth and they are starting to move. Um, so that's encouraging. The good thing is that I think your autumn herbicide programme, certainly on my patch, seem to have worked really well because we're not loused out with massive patches of blackgrass in these cereal crops or, for that matter, in oilseed rape. If you've still got propizomide to put on oilseed rape, remember you've got until the 31st of this month, then you can't do it. You have to move into carbetamide, and that's a safety thing for next year's following crop. Um, but just prioritise the worst fields. If you've got half a dozen fields still to do and two are worse than the other four, prioritise those too but as I've said before you really don't want to be putting these products on onto standing water not only is it a non-compliant um, it's not best agricultural practice because that's how these chemicals get into water courses and that's how we lose them so we need to steward them as far as slugs go the activity has certainly fallen back a bit I think over the last seven days or so uh, that could be due to the frost driving these slugs back down again but my slug traps are showing very little activity and I can't find an awful lot of new growth but if you do new damage to new growth rather so if you do find slugs remember what we've said metaldehyde probably not the best idea in these wet conditions because it'll get into the water stick with the ferrous phosphate um, winter cereals black grass levels very very low across the board really um, not doing anything I'm not planning to do anything in these winter cereal crops at the moment um, it's just too wet the soil conditions are all wrong we're not going to get a lot of benefit to it if you put manganese on a cereal crop that's not growing you're wasting that product and you're just making a mess for the sake of doing it so sit back have a walk about monitor these fields make your plans if you do put slug pellets on just scribble a rough picture of the field down draw the area in and write the date and the quantity that you put on because that's what the inspectors like to see that we take the job seriously um so busy week coming up really we've had every sort of weather last week we had frost fog snow drizzle snizzle heavy rain high winds 
it, it's just been i think we even had a bit of sunshine one day um it's been everything this week hopefully next week won't be quite as diverse it'd be nice to have a bit of settled weather whether that be snow frost or just wind or rain one or the other just let's stick with one um and i've got another busy week coming up actually on wednesday morning between 9 15 and 10 a.m on bbc one there's a program called food truth or scare i recorded a piece for the bbc before christmas and i'll be on there on that program talking about why pesticide residues in food aren't necessarily as bad or as dangerous to us as people may have you believe and one of the great um, results of a study that came out just after Christmas was a Danish study has shown that the risk we face from pesticide residues in our food, those tiny, tiny residues, it's about the same as drinking one glass of wine every seven years. So if that doesn't put it in perspective, I don't know what does. There's nothing to worry about. And then on Friday night, I'm speaking to the Wisbeach NFU down there in deepest, darkest Cambridgeshire. So really looking forward to that as well. Um, and I think I'm speaking to some beekeepers in Market Raisin at some point. So busy old week, nothing um, doing on the fields really, apart from wander about, make your notes and get ready for when it begins. Uh, always busy. Thank you. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll look out for him on the TV on Wednesday and he's back here on your radio next week. Last week on the programme we were in Parliament tempting MPs with cheese and gin and promoting British food and drink. If you missed it, the podcast is still online and on iTunes. This week, MPs were showing support for British sugar. Nick Morris was there, that's right, isn't it, Nick? That's right, yeah. We were um, hosting a parliamentary uh, reception uh, with our sugar industry programme uh, in the House of Commons on, on Tuesday this week, so it was uh, great to see uh, many of our, our local constituency uh, MPs come along and uh, see us and really support the uh, the Back British Sugar campaign and um, and the Sugar Entry Programme itself, as along with ourselves and uh, NFU Sugar. So, no, it was a very, very nice afternoon. Fabulous. What about the campaign? What's the latest there? Right, so we're uh, it's two weeks since I was last on, and uh, at that time we discussed uh, the wet weather, which has definitely continued since then. And we've actually recorded fifty nine millimeters of rain at uh, at Newark Factory this month. So, yeah, more more than our fair share so far. Uh, we're one hundred and thirty six days into our processing season, uh, so that makes us around three quarters of the way through. And following the continued rain, harvesting conditions remain challenging, as we said uh, two weeks ago. And contractors uh, are really having to choose where they can lift. So sugar beet supply to most haulage groups remains pretty limiting, uh, varying from around a few days to a couple of weeks, depending on uh, which which haulage group you're in. We've got about 20% of our crop uh, still in the ground waiting to be lifted. So, of course, naturally that's more on our, on our lighter soil types by this time of year, but a few, a few dry weeks will be welcome. Factory throughput. That's now averaging 9,660 tonnes a day, which actually is in line with our budget, but it's also exactly the same number I reported two weeks ago. Uh, and if you remember at that time, I was uh, I shared our plans of a scheduled shutdown uh, the following Wednesday, and that was going to allow us to boil out and descale our evaporators. Um, and if you recall, I sort of likened that to a, a tyre change in an F1 pit stop, in that while you lose time doing it, it to, your objective is to make up that time and more thereafter and pleased to say so far that uh, we seem to be doing so the shutdown went incredibly well uh, and it's completed in record time it only cost us around 7,000 tonne of lost production and um, we've already caught that back up so that also enabled us to carry out some engineering repairs uh, within the factory uh, and have since been processing around 10,500 tonnes a day 
So uh, hopefully that will uh, uh, enable us to uh, maintain uh, reliably that sort of throughput throughout the rest of the campaign. Average sugar content for the campaign remains at 17.8%. Dirt tear up slightly at 5.8%. Uh, and that's just following the, the wet weather, really. So far, we've got 294 contracts which have finished their campaign. And they're now averaging 75 tonnes a hectare, which is up one tonne a hectare from two weeks ago. Uh, and that's representing about a quarter of our area. So pretty pretty representative. Mm. How, how well is, is this year's crop faring compared to previous years, do you think? Well, um, it's a good, good question. I actually challenged myself uh, ahead of uh, coming to see you to try and find a bit of an interesting statistic just to uh, give this a little bit of context. Uh, in actual fact, if we didn't deliver another sugar beet this campaign from the whole of our crop area that we've sown this year, the adjusted yield would be higher than it was five years ago. And uh, as you can uh, guess, we've probably still got uh, seven or so uh, weeks of deliveries left to go. So we will exceed uh, the, you know, the yield of five years by around 40%, which is a great result. But importantly, um, we're all about records, as you know. So we're still on target of breaking our 2014 record of 76 tonnes a hectare um, by uh, hopefully a couple of tonnes or so. So, yeah, it is a remarkable crop and um, it's, still, it's still impressing us every day. Looking at next year's crop, growers will have seen uh, our, our recent announcement that uh, in view of the current relatively low world sugar market price, excellent grower uptake of uh, contracts for next year and continued strong growth in trended yield and the likelihood of quite a reasonable stock levels following uh, the record crop this year, we need to carefully manage our volumes of surplus beet for the eighteen nineteen campaign. As such, the beet price will be between 5 to £10 a tonne for that surplus tonnage. If uh, growers would like to revise their crop area as a result of that, then please get in touch with their area manager and they'll be happy to help you. Lastly, just to say, um, on events, BBRO drill training event uh, titled Drilling for Better Establishment is next Wednesday the 31st of January at Rhizome Campus, 8.30 to 1. And it will cover seabed preparation, drill maintenance, and also some manufacturer demonstrations. So I believe there's still a handful of places left if people would like to attend. Following that, on the 8th of February, is the BBRO Winter Technical Conference at Belton Woods. So for both of those, you can also register at bbro.co.uk forward slash events. Nick Morris from British Sugar. We last heard from Colin Jackson at PJP just before Christmas. And to be frank, as I said at the start of the programme, it wasn't the end to the year potato farmers were hoping for. So, have things improved? Now we're a month into 2018, Colin. Um, things in January have been very slow, um, possibly even worse than we were seeing at the end of last year as far as movement goes. Um, very disappointing um, and even sort of talk in the trade of a few imports coming in which are exactly what we don't need at the moment you know we're looking to clear our own stocks without anything coming in from uh from europe um so uh so yeah still unfortunately more of the same what, what was the reason for that do you think the market is depressed and it all, almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy these things um because people tend to sort of hang fire and not buy forward because they think well it potentially could even be cheaper um in the future than than what it is at the moment and so uh, it creates a lack of confidence and uh, and thereby you know uh, as i say becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy really so what what will what will it take to change it do you think um 
a bit of better weather will help. Um, that always makes a difference. Um, people will suddenly start to sort of go back out to the shops. I mean, the, all the retail sales appear to be down, don't they? And, uh, and and that does include the sort of buying in the supermarkets of, uh, of foodstuffs as well. Um, so we always see a poor January, really. Um, and uh, we're, we're always looking forward to February. Uh, the supermarkets may well start to do some special offers um, and that will spur things on. Um, we're also noticing that one or two stores have have, uh, have not actually stored that well. Um, so there's relatively high wastage levels uh, in some of these stores that are opening up now. So it may well be that the stocks are not going to be as high at the end of the season as people were, were, were fearing. Um, and again, that will help to actually put a little bit of confidence back into the trade. What, what are we looking at with uh, with prices at the moment? Um, <laughs> well, it's very difficult to sort of put a put a figure on it because that you know forced sellers are taking realistically anywhere from stock feed values, which are sort of you know five or six pounds a ton, um, where product is needing to be cleared because it's it's breaking down in store, um, and the top end of the market really there's. There's a few markets where uh, sort of 120, 130 pounds a ton are around. Um, best frying, for instance, is sort of now up and just above the 100 pound mark, which is uh, which is you know a good indication that um, quality is getting sought after. Um, but the packing trade itself is very slow, and sort of ordinary whites for packing are realistically around and about the sort of 50 pounds mark. So, February, just around the corner then, fingers crossed, confidence improving, yeah? Yeah, that's it. That's what we're, we've, <laughs> we've always got to look for some positives, and, uh, and that's what we're, we're, we're clutching at at the moment. Looking for those positives, Colin Jackson from PJP. On to Grey News then, Kit Dickinson is here. Morning, Kit. Morning, Sean. What's, uh, what's happening? Still quiet? Very quiet, really. Uh, this week has been similar to last, with spot prices continuing to dominate the market, as Chris said last Sunday. Uh, February is still currently holding the best ex-farm price, and this is for the north of the UK. Marx is current, currently a pound less, which going forward makes February look quite appealing. While values remain firm, prices further forwards are under pressure due to sterling. Wheat values are largely unchanged and have been helped by the sterling's increased strength against the dollar and the euro. And that's really it for wheat this week. Uh, moving on to all-seed rape, it's unchanged, still hovering at £285 ex-farm, dependent on the area and haulage. There has been no news on the global soybean supplies, and so far there are no concerns that that could raise the all-seed rape price. There still appears to be a lot of all-seed rape on farm for the time of year, and the crushes are relaxed, believing there is plenty of stock to get them through until the end of the season. Feed barley compound usage. Feed barley is still currently very strong, and has good export demand out of the south coast, keeping the market buoyant. Feed barley remains unchanged at £125 X, dependent on area, with £1 carry going forward. Weather in Europe is worth looking at this week. Winter hardening has been later than normal in the northwest of the Black Sea, which is increasing the possibility of damage if they get some more late frosts. Spain, France, Western Germany, Western Baltics, Hungary and the Ukraine have all had 50% more rainfall than average this winter, with mild conditions forecast for the remainder of the month. On the back of this, we could see more disease pressure and delayed spring work if the wet weather continues. As I mentioned previously, three weeks ago, Argentina remains unseasonably dry and North America is suffering from cold weather. But we mustn't forget, it is still January. If this cold weather continues, we will see more winter kill on crops, but we won't really see the outcome of this until the spring. With a small US crop 
wheat crop, sorry, in the ground, uh, any feeling that the 2018 crop production figure will go backwards may increase the possibility of funds being taken going forward. Prices, feed wheat is 138 to 142 for February 18, with precious little carry going forward, 137 to 139 for May 18, and milling premiums are still in the region of £10. Group 3 and 4 soft wheats are still in good demand, with useful premiums. Feed barley, 124 to 127 for February, with carry in some positions to May 18 at 128 to 129. New crop feed barley in the region of 113 to 115 for harvest and 120 as a guide for November 18. Malting premiums are circa £30. Oil seed rape February 18 is 282 to 287 with a pound a month carry. New crop rape at harvest is 275 to 280 and November 18 is 285 to 290. Feed beans are 150 for February, with better quality human consumption spring beans at 175, if you can find a firm bed. If, indeed. Thank you, Kit. Useful information as ever more from Open Field next week. Storm Georgina swept through on Wednesday, a week after the storm that wasn't named that affected Lama. So, any more heading our way this week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, Wednesday does look uh, quite windy, but more on that in a moment. Today, it's quite breezy, actually, from the west-southwest. 20, maybe gusting at 35 miles an hour for a time. Uh, Overcast today as well. We're looking at highs of a mild 13 Celsius. Overnight tonight, possibility of a shower. Those winds getting up again. West-southwestly, 20, gusting at 40 miles an hour first thing tomorrow morning. Lows down to 10 Celsius. And then tomorrow itself, a little bit cooler, actually. Not as mild as it's been over the weekend. Some sunny spells as well. Looking at daytime highs of around 9 Celsius. And the wind from the west-northwest at about 20 miles an hour. Clear skies for a time, but then clouding over again Monday into Tuesday. Temperatures down to around 3 Celsius. The wind from the west, 10, still gusting at 25 miles an hour. And then Tuesday itself, staying dry at first anyway. Some rain to come, though. 7, the high. The wind from the west, 10 to 15 miles an hour. And then it looks rather more unsettled. Some heavy rain at the moment forecast overnight, Tuesday into Wednesday. Those winds getting up again as well. More from the west, 20, gusting at 40, maybe 45 miles an hour. We're looking at lows overnight of around 5 Celsius. And through Wednesday itself, we might see those westerly gusts hitting 50 miles an hour, with again further rain possible, 7, the daytime high. As ever, our hourly updates will uh, keep a check on things for you. For the moment, though, that's the forecast. Next week, Ben Underwood is back from the CLA with a stern message to government. Environment's all very well, but come on, Mr Gove, we need to start talking seriously about the levers the governments have to, to boost productivity in the industry. More from Ben next week. That is next week at this time. Until then, here's to a productive week's farming.